Thank you, students. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great day. Thank you that we get to worship you today and sing our faith, the things that we believe. And Father, we believe in you because you're believable. We trust you because you are trustworthy. We put our faith in you because you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life, for the chance to be together, for uh, this great day, the beauty of the, the earth around us, Lord, that you have created. The heavens declare your glory from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Your name is to be praised. And so we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and for this chance to open your word and learn together today. And we pray that you'll be honored as we think together about what you're teaching us in your word. And we ask it in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Wow, that was great. Great worship this morning. Thank you, students, for leading us, those solos and uh, just sharing. And I love the uh, uniforms. I just think uh, it's already a win. It's a, it's a big day, I know, and uh, sort of national holiday. I think it may be sort of the culmination of our, uh, you know, 20, 20 weeks of idolatry, playing fantasy football, that it now comes to a final roaring crescendo. And it's hard to believe today that there's anything in the world bigger than football, but there, there really is something bigger than football. And I realized it as I prepared for this week because one of the couples in our church, Bill and Dorothy Klotz, are celebrating, get this, 70 years of marriage. 70 years of marriage. Now, to be married for 70 years, you gotta start really early, first of all. And then you gotta live a long time. And uh, what's amazing is when I think about them, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't want to deflate the Super Bowl in any way today, but just, just to say that I'm pretty sure that a family like that, 70 years of marriage, five kids, 15 grandkids, 21 great-grandchildren, two new ones born this week uh, to Danny and Lauren uh, Struzik. Uh, they have uh, Charlie and Wyatt, twin sons, born this week, that that one family committed to the Lord has a chance to make a, a greater difference in eternity than any football game that has ever been played. And so we celebrate that together today. And in our series on relationships, we saw last week that we were created to relate. God made us to relate to other people. And particularly today, I wanna to think with you about the marriage relationship. And Andre Morois has said, um, a happy marriage is a long conversation which always seems too short. 70 years of sharing life and ministry and family together. And what could marriage be like? They're not the only ones, by the way. At one point, we had over 100 families who had been married for over 50 years in our church. I think that's just a reservoir, a treasure of knowledge for, I walked by our Embark class today and all of our younger couples there. And just to think about, there are people here with wisdom that they've accumulated, now one couple, into their eighth decade. Uh, but another couple, um, not far behind them, was talking to me Thursday after our Bible study and said, um, we'll be married 69 years on February 22nd. And I just said to the lady, Ruth Osborne, I said, so what's that like? And she said, pastor, in 69 years, I have never once thought of divorce. Murder a couple of times. 
but never divorce. And in our world where uh, marriage is clearly in flux and there is a great transition in our culture going on, I wonder what we could learn from the original design. And what if the designer is in the room? Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Let's hear the word of the Lord together today. And I'm also going to be reading a little bit later from Genesis 3 and and Genesis 4. But let me just start with verses 18 to 25. And would you stand with me in reverence for our God and his word? And when I finish reading, I say, this is the word of the Lord. Would you just say at that point, thanks be to God. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, it took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated today. As long as I can remember, we've had something of a, a fairy tale image of marriage in our culture that um, you would find this person, they would sweep you off your feet and you would spend the rest of your life with them and live happily ever after. And this fairy tale image of marriage really sort of goes back to the beginning. Actually, marriage had a marvelous beginning as God started marriage. And when, when God, I love this in verse 22, when God not only makes the woman, but brings her to Adam to show, as if to say, haven't I done well? Look who I have made for you. So God cares about Adam's loneliness and Adam's naming all the animals. And they're coming by, I assume, two by two by two, elephant, giraffe. He's naming them. But every time he counts two, he realizes he's only one. And there's a loneliness and that's what verse 18 means when it says it was not good for man to live alone. So he's not alone. I mean, the world's full of creatures, right? And so he's naming them. We still still name uh, uh, animals to this day. I remember 12 years ago, we we got a a little beagle at a little pet store um, and we were like, what are we going to name this beagle? And somebody had just read a book about a beagle and said, let's name... Uh, the dog Shiloh. And so that's how, that's how we named Shiloh. And uh, I came to work the next week or so and I was talking with one of our assistants who was just brilliant. And uh, we were talking and, and she said, so what did you name your dog? And I said, Shiloh. And she said, well, I don't like that. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, I have a son and I named him Shiloh. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I, didn't, I, mean, I wouldn't even think of that. And she said, well, I'm just gonna buy a dog and name it Chase. I was like, wow. Okay, well, whatever you got to do, just do that. But 
um, we name our animals, and so he's naming the animals, but it's clear this is not the answer, and so God performs surgery. Most of us would have given up an arm and a leg for a spouse, but for God to bring out of a rib a, a person who would be created equally in value, equally in dignity, equally in God's image. So you have these two image bearers and it's off to this incredible start. And the key is they're not ashamed. And this is setting a pattern for this reason. The book of Genesis says, uh, Paul will quote this, Jesus will quote this. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. So from the very beginning, God's intention was taking the woman out of the man's flesh and then bringing them together that they would be one. And that has, I mean, cosmic implications for our lives because it's not just the physical oneness, but it's their sharing of life together. And then it isn't long. It's just the next chapter, in fact, that all of this is broken and the, the man is accusing the woman and accusing God for making the woman and, and there's punishment doled out. But even in the punishment, there's grace. And there is hope and God makes a covering for them out of some animal. I was thinking this week, I wonder what animal it was. I'm, I'm thinking coyotes these days, but maybe not, I don't know. But, but God makes a covering for them and then um, they begin life together and they have sons and the sons have conflict and there's death and there's brokenness. But even in the punishment, God says, but your seed will strike the head of the serpent and that day will come when through one of their descendants, God will take the people that he's taken out of paradise and he will begin to bring paradise back to earth through his people and through their relationships. It's a remarkable story. It's a fairy tale that, that starts well and gets crazy really quickly. And I was thinking this week how that parallels most of our relationships, how a lot of our relationships start with this just sort of, I remember looking across Wendy's and Wendy's restaurant and seeing Melanie and it was just kind of like this, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. In my own mind, I was like, wow, God, who is this amazing creature that you have created? And then you get married and then, I don't remember what our first fight was. I asked her this week and she, she couldn't remember either. I don't remember what our first fight was, but I just remember that there came a point where we were like, wow, how can this be? Here we are, we start so well, and then there's brokenness and, and the brokenness is generational and challenging. And then I think this story offers us hope because it shows us that God refuses to let them go, that he pursues them in the garden when they have sinned. And he won't, oh, love that will not let me go. He won't let them go. And then there comes that magnificent moment in chapter four, verses 25 and 26. After one son kills another and they have another son and, and his, his name is Seth. And she says, God's given me another offspring because Abel was killed by Cain and she loses Cain because he's banished. And then Seth has a son. Now they got grandchildren. And listen to this, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And how does all of this inform our relationships today? Can we really be, be made whole? Can God heal our brokenness in our relationships with each other? Well, this story is a powerful reminder that God can. So relationships began with love. And I see even in Adam and Eve, this commitment at the beginning, it's a commitment, look, Marriage never was a consumer relationship. 
I kind of feel like we've transformed it into that these days, but it was originally a covenant. You know the difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship? In a consumer relationship, um, we, we say, as long as you provide what I need, I'm in. But if you ever don't provide what I need or somebody else provides something better, then I'll just go over there. That's a consumer kind of relationship. I have that kind of relationship with my gym. And they, they closed down my gym over here. Some of you used to work out with me over there. And then I was driving every day out to Katy to, to work out. And, and, and then they closed that one down this weekend. And they said, yeah, but, but if you'll just drive down to Shepherd, you know, you can still stay with our gym. And I'm like, I'm out of here. You know, it's consumer relationship. There's something closer, better. I'm going to, no, that's a consumer relationship. But marriage is not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant relationship. So as Paul envisions it, this flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone in Ephesians chapter five, what he's going to say is uh, in verses 28 and 29, Paul's going to say, so husbands, love your wives the way you're supposed to, because when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. Wives, when you love your husbands, you're loving yourself. And God never intended for marriage to be sort of this consumer relationship, but it was always supposed to be a covenant that we entered into volitionally so that it might become an enduring, exclusive relationship. One man, one woman for a lifetime, calling upon the name of the Lord and finding God's help in challenging times. This is the way that God designed marriage. And to the extent that it's not working that way, it strikes me it's because we've given up on God's design. So you've read the statistics as well as I have. There are surveys out there that say about 50% of people in their 20s these days say, I would never marry a person unless I had lived with them first because I want to be sure I want to be sure that it's going to work out before we make the commitment. But in doing that, we flip the original design on its head. Because in fact, what happens, and these surveys that are being done these days are not being done by Christians, but by secular psychologists who say that's a pretty good way to jeopardize your future relationship. Because the only way we can ever experience the physical intimacy that we think of when we think of one flesh is if we experience first the spiritual intimacy and the soulish intimacy of being best friends. And then it's like we're trying to build a house without the foundation, which is spiritual intimacy, common commitment to Christ, and the walls, which is a, a personal intimacy with each other, a best friend kind of relationship, and then the roof on top of the house is the physical intimacy, but it's like we're trying to build a house and just put the roof out there and see if it'll stand by itself. And it turns out it's not working. The, the reason God designed marriage for a covenant relationship so that our commitment to each other, that we would be, look, they weren't ashamed. Some people say, oh, well, you know, Christianity is just opposed to sexuality. And what I would just say about that is the whole story starts with a man and a woman who are naked standing in the presence of God unashamed. I read Proverbs 5 with our adults this week and we studied and it says, be satisfied with the wife of your youth for your whole life. And the images in Song of Solomon, let me just say, we think we're so educated about intimacy in our culture. If the translators put down on the paper exactly what was in the Hebrew, it would make all of us blush. That's how serious God is about the beauty of marital intimacy. But if we say, well, I want the physical intimacy, but not the spiritual and soulish intimacy, the, the problem with that is you're putting your body somewhere that you're not willing to put your whole being. 
And it's only when our whole being is committed to a person for a lifetime that the physical part makes any sense at all or becomes what God intended for it to be. And so the challenge is to make a, a commitment and to say, I'm, I'm not going to live that way. Here's what, here's what I know. If somebody says to me, so I'm sleeping with somebody that I'm dating, here's what I know. First of all, their first commitment is not to Christ because Christ clearly teaches in the scripture that's not the way we're to live. And the second thing I know is they've already decided they're going to sleep with somebody they're not married to. And I wonder what that means about future relationships. When people are separated for a season, somebody's traveling, somebody's, what does that mean? And the only safety and security that frees us from fear and slavery and allows us to grow is the security that says, I'm in a covenant with you and I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be, whether you are or not. And I'm not going to walk out on you. And that's a picture of the love of God. It's the way God designed relationships to be. And so I, I want to speak that to you. It's interesting. I've been reading the New York Times lately. And on January 9th, there was this amazing story by Mandy Lee Catron. Uh, and she, she practiced this experiment of Arthur Aaron. Arthur Aaron said, if you want to fall in love with anybody, um, if you'll ask 36 questions back and forth to each other over 90 minutes and then stare in each other's eyes for four minutes, you'll fall in love. So she thought, I'll try it. And so she did, and it began, began a relationship. But here was her conclusion at the end. Mandy Lee Catron, at the end of that, said, love didn't happen to us. We're in love because we each made the choice to be. You hear that? It's a commitment. It's a decision. I say in our ceremonies, it's an act of the will. I say in our ceremonies, forsaking all others, keep only unto him, keep only unto her. That's God's design. And when, when marriage is in those boundaries, it's like a beautiful river inside its banks. It brings life everywhere it goes, sometimes for 70 years or longer. But you take that same water and take it outside the banks in a flood and watch how it brings death and destruction and turmoil. Could it be that the original designer has the best idea? They're there together and all is well. And then there's sin and, and she sins and he sins and they sin and, and there's judgment for that sin. And, and in the middle of all of that pain, God speaks to them. He's still talking to them. He's still looking for them and they wanna run away from him. And I don't know about you, but when I sin, the, the temptation in me is to run away from God. I want to I want to run away. But the gospel says we don't run away from God because in Christ he has come to us. So we don't run from God. We run to God. Even when we sin, we run to God because God is full of grace. Glenn Stanton captures it this way. He said the God who created our humanity weeps at the fall of our humanity, became our humanity. That's Jesus and is redeeming our humanity and the hope for us in our brokenness is that there is one who loves us and who can heal us. It goes into the next generation. One of their sons kills the other son. Can you imagine the pain of that? Some marriages don't survive the loss of a child, statistics say. It's very, very hard. I had a cousin when I was growing up who went through the gene pool like Velcro. I mean, he was good looking. He was talented. He was a, he was a musician. He was um, an incredible horseback rider. He was a national champion in his age group remarkable young man who was riding his horse with his dad one day and didn't know the gate was closed. And the horse threw him running full speed at the gate. He hit his head. We were in Germany when we heard Marcus died. And we watched over the years this incredible 
this incredible dissolution of the marital relationship over the loss of the son. I mean, this is pain. This is real pain. And God cares about our pain. Some of us in this room have lost loved ones in recent days and it's immeasurable pain. I was preaching down in Galveston this weekend. My good friend, uh, Pastor Tillman, who's preached in our church. He was one of my students and I got there to preach his 30th anniversary and found out that last week in the pulpit, he had a stroke in the pulpit. It's affected his speech. And I was just grieving over the pain and the brokenness in our world, in our own family. It's, it's, it's not in any way comparable, but this week we found out that Shiloh, our little dog, has tumors on her liver. And I have grieved over that all week long. And I just came to the conclusion, I thought, if I care that much about this dog, who, who sometimes, I mean, she's taught me a lot about my relationship with God because she's incredibly rebellious. She trolls for trouble. I mean, she does. And I love her, but I mean, there's a list of people in our family and this church that she has bitten. I'm not making this up. I mean, she is a troubled dog, but I have grieved all week over this and realizing she's not gonna be with us long. And finally this week, I just thought, if I care this much about a dog, how much must God care about us? a little bit lower than the angels, the pinnacle of his creation, broken by sin, but still in the image of God, there is still hope, there can be restoration, our relationships can be reclaimed and we can live in right relationship with God and with each other. And when we do, it is immeasurably beautiful. So, so Philip Yancey said, so in a lot of ways, um, when, we, when we're dating somebody, we put our best foot forward, you know, and, and then, you know, we, even if we don't like sports, we pretend like we like sports. Or even if we don't like art, we pretend like we like art or whatever. And, you know, and then, and then you get married and then it's like it gets into the stage of self-centeredness and there's no room for self-centeredness in marriage. And then Philip Yancey said, some people give up in the self-centered stage. But he said, I've learned after 25 years of marriage, Melanie, I've been married 30 and we're obviously novices in a church with people who've been married over 70. But, but that there comes a point when there's a reconvergence and we begin to care about the things that the other person cares about again. We don't subjugate each other. We don't dominate each other. But we live in a relationship where we genuinely care about each other. And and Philip Yancey said, I feel sorry for the people who jump ship before they reach that reconvergence and see what can be under God. Judith Viorst, the writer, sort of captures it in her little thought about marriage. Um, she says, one advantage of marriage, it seems to me, is that when you fall out of love with him or he falls out of love with you, marriage keeps you together until you fall in love again. See, it's not just feelings, it's commitment. The, the covenant says we're in this in, in, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, forsaking all others. We're in this together. And God's design is a good design. And there's hope in that design. Because here's what I know about every one of us in this room. We are broken. Here's the question. Are we gonna live in our brokenness alone? Or will we bring our shattered dreams to God and allow him to heal us? I heard this song this week. You gotta hear this song and then I'll close. This song by Casting Crowns. I heard it Monday and I thought, I want us to hear it. It's called Broken Together. We won't give up the fight. It's gonna take much more than promises this time. Only God can change our minds. 
And even husband and wife are never complete in and of themselves apart from relationship with the God who alone can complete us. But we bring our brokenness and our shattered dreams to the God who heals and he restores and he makes a covering for the couple. And when they begin to call upon his name, that's the beginning of something new. A son named Seth, a grandson named Enosh, people praying and, and while Cain's line is famous for inventing art and culture and, and polygamy and, and all these other things, this side is so excellent at worship and loving God and out of that line of Seth comes Jesus, the Son of God, who alone can heal us, who shows us marriage as a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And in that relationship where we share all of life together, every time husband and wife are together, it's a new beginning of that covenant. It is um, a promise of the fulfillment that God intended for a family to be together, even when we're broken, together. Robert Browning put it this way, memorable line, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. Pray with me. Father, thank you that our brokenness does not take you by surprise. In this world, Lord, where we worship at the altar of idolatry. We worship our play and we play at our worship in this world, Lord, where pornography devastates relationships by becoming an image idolatry that takes away safety and creates demand that results in human trafficking in this broken world Lord, we believe that your spirit is powerful enough to bring healing one person at a time. And Lord, whether we're single or married, we're complete in you. You are all that we need. We thank you that you made girls and you made boys and you offered marriage as a gift. Help us not to worship the creation, but the creator. And we can't fix our lives, but you can. So help us to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.